y'all, and welcome back to the Alex Amo I Am A PT podcast. Thank you for all those who have been tuning in to our podcast so far, listening on Spotify, Google, and Apple, and also watching on our YouTube channel. We appreciate you guys. Um, if you have yet to do so, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Subscribe, like, follow on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, and also on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So tonight, we have what some people might consider a Twitter troll, but Alex and I have gotten to know him a bit better, and I got to say, I like him, okay? So <laughs> it's great to have you, Victor Wolf in person with us talking tonight. Welcome to the Alex and Mo podcast. Thanks for having me on. I feel like I've got um, big shoes to fill in a lot of company that, uh, you know, I think I feel like a little bit of a black sheep. I don't have a ton of certs or a, a company that I'm running. So uh, happy to be here. Uh, no. no, 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 no. This this is going to be great. So don't yeah, it, It's definitely, uh, we've been looking forward to, to having you on. Um, you know, as Mo mentioned, You've, uh, you know, purposely or inadvertently, you know, you've kind of paved your way in, in PT Twitter world. And, and you know, as she mentioned, you, you, you're firm, firm in your stance and your beliefs. And that's something that we can respect because, uh, you know, you're just true to yourself, whether, you know, that's perceived on the outside as good, bad and different. You know, you stick to your guns. And, and that's definitely something that that we uh like to to preach on our show and, and the way that Mo and I live both uh, personally and professionally. Uh, so definitely looking forward to, to getting to know you to to just hear more about your thoughts. You know, obviously, Twitter, you're very limited to 140 characters. So sometimes it makes it very difficult to 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 have some conversations, have some meaningful conversations uh, in a manner that, you know, you can have friendly debate. You know, we always say, you know, the goal isn't necessarily to change anybody's mind, but just to kind of listen to a different perspective and, and just be open to it, you know, which is one of our one of the models here for our show is, you know, we just want to be open uh, to new information and, and just digest it and, and act as you wish, you know, but uh, but th thank you very much for taking the time to, to be with us. So, you know, before we started the show, we were getting to know a little bit about you and, you know, you you've only, you've been practicing for about five years now. Um, tell us about how you got into PT. Like, what was it that drove you to to this profession? Thanks again for having me on, guys. Um, I thought I wanted to be uh, a major league baseball pitcher originally as a as a young kid, um, and as I got a little older, started thinking about careers that I'd like to do. And there was a chiropractor in town who um, I would say is a little bit more of like a reformed uh, practitioner in, in her field in my hometown. And she would work with a lot of athletes and give them, you know, a few exercises, um, some treatment and included a lot of manual therapy. And it seemed to be something that helped people get back to what they love to do. So for a lot of the people that I came across, it was for sports. Um, so originally I thought I, I thought that I would follow in her footsteps and going into undergrad had a plan of like this pre Cairo tract. And I had never really had um, an experience with PT until I was looking for jobs, you know, as a, as a college kid, just to get some observation hours and to pull in a little income while I'm going to school. 
And I could not, for the life of me, find a job at a chiropractic clinic, but I did find a tech or aid position at a, at a local therapy uh, company. And through that process and getting to know more about what PT entails, um, I thought, well, this is actually really what I, what I want to do. It's very much in line with what I thought I'd be doing as a chiropractor. And I mean, not to really rag on other professions, but kind of the, the more that time went on and the more I observed each field, I thought um, I definitely found more of a home in the, in the PT world. And so I got on uh, the pre-PT uh, track at school and um, did my undergrad in exercise science and a little psych at uh, University of Nebraska at Omaha, and then went to Creighton for PT school. And I graduated in May of 17 and have been practicing in outpatient ortho full-time and then moonlighting a little on the weekends, uh, working inpatient, you know, anything from the ortho floor with trauma and, and post-op joints or um, inpatient rehab, acute rehab, or just general acutes. So anything from the ICU to uh, med surge. So you come from a very small town, right? From where? A small town? Um, yeah. Small-ish. I mean, 8,000 people. So in Nebraska, um, largest city is Omaha. And it's that was about 25, 30 minutes south of my hometown. So we live right on the Missouri River in Blair. So town of 8,000, currently live in Lincoln, Nebraska, so the capital city, uh, university town. Not quite as big as Omaha, really only about an hour away to the south uh, southwest on I-80, hour and 10 minutes from home. Both my wife and I are from Blair. Our parents live there. We live there actually while I went to school. I just commuted. It was like a 35, 40 minute drive. But rent was cheaper in our hometown. And, you know, having the first grandchild on, on both sides, we had some help with childcare if you needed it. And I didn't mind a little bit of a drive. So uh, I think Lincoln's going to be home for us, though. We moved here about three and a half years ago. Church and schools like a block from my house and work. Um, going to be opening a new clinic for our company that's like four minutes from my house. So um, I think this is where our anchor is now. That's that's awesome. So you mentioned you, you and your wife grew up in the same town. Did you know her like as you were younger or how did, how did that uh, kind of pan out for you guys? Yeah, I, I definitely, um, we knew each other. Our families knew each other. We never really talked or hung out until college and we didn't even go to the same school. Uh, my dad and her dad worked together at ups we had little brothers that were best friends and i always tell people and this probably won't surprise any of you but she was shy and quiet well behaved and i was pretty much the opposite of all those things so had we had we tried to to date before college i don't i don't think it would have worked out but <laughs> ironically um we were going through pictures we've been married about 10 years now um but a few years back we were probably about oh, five or six years ago we're at my, my parents and my mom's going through some old pictures and there's a picture of me in fourth grade when you're in PE and you, you're doing like square dancing and line dancing and things like that. And you have to hold hands with girls and you pretend like you're grossed out, but you actually kind of want to. And um, I'm like, wait, who's that? Who's that that I'm with right here? Like thinking that kind of looks like my wife. And she's like, that's me. That's, that's that ugly perm my mom made me get in fourth grade. So there's a picture of us like dancing together, um, you know, not not on our own volition in, in fourth grade could have been high school sweethearts and things like that. But no, we didn't really talk until college. That's, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Um, Small world. Yeah. Yeah. 
So how 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 much of a role or influence has she played in your development as a clinician? Uh, huge, uh, monumental. My I will say I wouldn't be where I'm at without, of course, like my parents and my grandparents. I was very blessed to have like all four grandparents until I was 22 and still have two of them with me now. And my parents taught me a lot of valuable things, but that was really only half the equation. So I, I don't think I would be anywhere near where I am without my wife. I think I've always had a good um, level of work ethic. Um, I don't shy away from things that I want to do. I'm willing to, to outwork about anyone, maybe not everyone, but the average person. But I didn't really have a whole lot of discipline or um, this mentality of like, sometimes you just have to suck it up and do something you don't want to do. And it's something that I definitely observed in my wife and have learned like from my in-laws as well. Is your wife do anything in healthcare or just? No, no. Well, we both worked at, so UNMC, Nebraska Med Center in Omaha is a, a research hospital. Um, when we were in college, we both worked there as like sitters, like in a room. Um, we both worked there as pharmacy techs. Um, then she went in to like insurance verification while we were still like in Omaha and Blair. And that's when I, I worked full time as a pharmacy tech after undergrad, like in a gap year before PT school. And I actually kept that job on the weekends um, throughout PT school. But she, she had some experience in healthcare, but not as, um, as a provider or anything where her degree was specific to that. Um, her last job was with a small company in our hometown. They actually were like, they branched out of the telephone company and in our town and they would build billing software and accounting software for like small landline telephone companies, which still exist. And uh, she worked full time for a while. And then after we moved to Lincoln, um, when COVID had probably been, we'd probably been about a year, year and a half into COVID, they'd reached out and asked if she wanted to work like part time from home because everyone had gone remote. So she did that for a while until a few months ago with four kids and being, you know, four or five months pregnant kind of just feeling feeling like it was time to let that go and and just be home full time that that's a true blessing man my wife stays home uh full time she she has since um my oldest son was born he's six and then my youngest is three uh mm -hmm. and and it truly is a blessing for her to be able to stay uh with the you know my boys and it allows me to go to work with a little bit of more peace oh um, totally knowing that you know she's there to take care of anything even with my oldest at school like our school is at the front of our neighborhood so like we ride our golf cart to the, to the gate and drop him off pick him up so but having her there is just a, a huge thing you know and as mo was mentioned and i've always mentioned it like to me like having a partner is the most critical decision that i feel as a man you make uh, when you decide to to pick your spouse uh, and making sure that, you know, you pick the right one can have huge implications, whether you have a chance to succeed or, you know, you, you have a, a tougher road. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I have I have family members where you see it both ways. And it's I, I consider myself very blessed. She's awesome. Um, we're, we're firm believers that like nobody's going to raise your kids like you are and. Um, just to be able to have her do that, um, 
is a, is a huge blessing. Um, it does. I don't have to worry about things at work like I would if, if my kids were at childcare. And even, even if it was a place I trusted, um, nobody's going to take care of you like your mama. So it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, most definitely. So you said you worked on weekends while in physical therapy school. Was that mm -hmm. challenging for you? Yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, it's probably something that had I not met my wife and, and, had been taught some of those lessons that I mentioned earlier. Um, I don't know if I would have uh, been up for something like that, uh, but I, it wasn't really m much of, of my doing. My wife is a total rock star. My, my son was like six months old when I started PT school and my oldest daughter was born, um, gosh, when I was about halfway or two years through and people are like amazed at like how you got through school. And I was like, I didn't do school squat really uh my my wife did like everything she's a superstar so you know compliment that woman not me okay understood. you, you got you got the uh, right help uh right mm -hmm. so that's good how much did your bringing play in how your treatment philosophy like uh very very much so maybe not in the um the clinical decision making component of work or, uh, you know, how I'm going to approach the literature and things like that. But in terms of interacting with people, I would say it is um, very found, like my upbringing was probably very foundational to how I try to work with people. Um, I'm notorious for always running about five to 10 minutes behind, because if I can think of one thing that I, I need to educate or one more thing I can show a patient, I will. Um, and I think, I think as long as it's manageable and you keep it, um, to, to something that's not too burdensome for everyone, uh, patients do appreciate that. And I have a lot of rapport. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of things where I can, I can do better, but that's one thing to me, it's pretty simple. Like this is the, the easy stuff. It's like the manners, like it's not hard to have manners and you, you, may see or hear about other clinicians or other providers in other fields and they'll talk about like bedside manner and like it's not hard to have that to me i, I think that's really a says something about more about how you treat people and uh, just effort like it's not like you have to be terribly um intelligent or or well-read or researched to do that it's that to me that's kind of the easy stuff so um you know i think back to like the way my my dad would talk to people, it would be like 30 minutes past when we're supposed to leave wherever we are, or go home. Um, but that's that's just kind of how how things work. And you just knew that dad was going to talk long with everybody. And in a smaller town, you know, most everybody, um, you know, he still works for UPS. He drives semis now, but he did yeah. package car delivery, kind of like your Amazon delivery guy for like 25 years. So, you know, that that's what he did was talk to people all day and that's kind of like what we do you know when right. when I come home though um I'm spent I, I told my wife I used up all my words for the day by lunch and she's like well I haven't talked to like an adult and all I, day oh, at all yeah. I, I need to talk and I'm like just give me some food and sit me in front of the tv please like just let me check out and she's like I'm ready to talk yeah, um, so yeah. I, I definitely have some work to do but um, on that stuff, I think it, it was pretty influential for me. Good, cool. good, good. I, I hope you didn't go to a church that had long services. 
Because like when I was growing up, my grandmothers were in, heavily involved in church. Mm. And they wanted us to stay after church and help to clean up and pack away stuff. And then they would be having conversations with people and praying. And you're looking at it, you're like, oh, cartoons are on. I'm hungry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you want to run away, but you have to well, stay. <laughs> that's one of the scenarios, like with my dad, it would be like after church. So like church was like an hour. Oh, okay. But then you'd have like the coffee hour and then you could have donuts and like the kids would play around, but then it'd be like probably 30, 45 minutes and everyone's kind of leaving and, and you're ready to go. And mom's rounding up. I have three younger brothers. So rounding up, you know, us boys and uh, dad, dad would sit there and talk for like another 15, 30, 45 minutes. And I, I haven't gone to church with my parents in a long time, but from my mom and my brothers, I get that that that's still, uh, still a phenomenon that exists. So but, but he's very invested in people. And so I think, um, you know, anyone that's, that's working with people or anyone that's uh, a small business owner kind of understands that's, um, that's the bread and butter of what we do is, is interacting with people. Absolutely. Do you have plans of getting into business? With that? Do you have plans of ever owning your own clinic or getting into the business aspect of it? Yeah, I think so. I don't know exactly uh, what I'll do, but I have that itch. Um, I really like the the practice that I work for now, and I wouldn't be opposed, you know, if if something were available um, with, with them. I think that's something I'd, I'd be interested in. Um, but I do have um, an itch there. I just I just don't know where I'm going to go with it yet. Yeah. Well, all the best. I mean, we Alex and I are both in, in business, so it it has been a blessing for me. So, but I know everyone everyone's journey is not the same. So, right. Yeah, and everybody yeah, has a, a, a. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm no I was just going to say you need to. Yeah, and and that's you know everybody has a, a different level of of risk that they're willing to to take and, and feel comfortable with. Um, you know, a lot has been said, you know, on social media, on Twitter about you know if you don't strive to to maximize your income than probably just an average PT and and things of that nature. And, you know, while I do feel like there is money to be made in this profession, probably not as much as we would like, um, given the amount of work and education that we put into our careers, but there's still opportunity to make money. Um, But not everybody wants that. Not everybody's necessarily after that. And some people are just comfortable with where they are, you know, And, and that to me is the most important thing is, kind of being honest with yourself and knowing what you need and, and what your family needs and however you can provide that. You know, for some people, it doesn't take a lot to be comfortable and to be able to provide and, and live the type of life that they want to live. Um, so it, it just depends on on what each individual wants. Um, but I think most of us uh, tend to want to do a little bit more um, because it's it's in our nature uh, to be hard workers, you know, you mentioned upbringing with your, your family, your parents, and your dad working for UPS. Like, that's clearly not a job where it's something that is taken lightly, right? Like, it, it takes hard work. It takes, you know, sweat, a, a hard days of work, to, to say it, uh, to do that. So when you see that growing up, that has to have an impact on you as to how you're going to you know, grow up 
as a boy to a man, to a, a, a husband, now a father, right? All those things kind of shape, you know, who you are and who you become based on your experiences as a, as a kid. Um, you know, with that, is that something that, that, that you kind of grew up and it was kind of like a role model for you? Yeah. Yeah. And it really is. Um, it, it really is one of those dilemmas that you hear about when you're younger, you know, about, um, I think of this song, the cats in the cradle, and it, it's about a dad that's always at work. And he, he's always telling his son that he can't spend time with him to do this or that because he has to go to work. And as the son grows up, what he ends up doing is saying some of the same things to the dad. Um, <clears throat> basically, like, dad, I've, I've got all the kids. They're sick. They've got the flu. Um, but it's sure nice talking to you. And I think that is just part of what I've accepted as, as my role. Um, but I also don't, I want to avoid some of the pitfalls if I can. So I know my, my dad, yeah, like with UPS, he, it's a good job, actually. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a trade. It's like a, I wouldn't say it's a trade, but it's, it's a more of a blue collar job. Um, great job, you know, with union benefits. UPS has really taken care of their employees over the years, but it's, it's not easy work and it's hard on the body. And a lot of times you're working close to 60 hour work weeks. And so like, that was the norm for me. Like my dad came home really late our family was notorious for eating dinner. Like when other people are like going to bed and I go to a friend's house and they eat dinner at five. I'm like, what's wrong with you people? Like we're still like three or four hours away from dinner time. Um, and you know, my father-in-law is the same way. He's a mechanic and he's damn good at what he does, but he works really hard. He's worked weekends for a long time. Uh, one of my grandpas was a business owner with a jewelry store. And like that guy was like, um, I was going to say that guy was like a slave driver. I'm like, people are already going to not like some of my diction here, but he was, I mean, he would make people work holidays and Sundays and things like that. And uh, the other grandpa was in the air force for 30 years. So, um, you know, it's just kind of something that's been inculcated in me as, as part of my duty and my role and knowing the trade off with uh, if, if my wife were to be home with the kids, um, that's something that I'm willing to take on. Uh, but I also don't want to uh, miss some of the things that maybe my grandparents or, or my dad missed. And uh, we talk about it sometimes. And, you know, I, I just kind of accepted like that's what dad's got to do to provide for us. And it was a blessing to have my mom home like our whole up, like our whole childhood. My mom was home. Um, and, and so I don't fault him for that at all. But there are things that I would like to to be present for. And if I can swing that or if I can dial it back a little bit at work um, then I'm, I'm going to try to do it but I, I've got that kind of that hustle gene and so you talked about someone mentioned risk earlier with business and I'm very uh, I, I'll invite risk all day if I'm betting on myself um, hopefully not in like a foolish manner but if, if I'm betting on myself I'm pretty confident uh, whereas my wife my wife is very risk averse so uh, finding something that works for everybody will be, I think, the challenge. If I could get my wife to sign on, I'm like, oh, it's already a done deal then because that's the hardest task. But yeah. We'll see. We'll see. I, I honestly believe she will sign on because, as you said, if you have to bet on yourself, you risk it all. And I, I see that from your 140 characters on Twitter that you, you trust yourself, you believe in yourself, and you're going to go with it no matter what the masters say. So um, 
I, I wanted to to know in in Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, I know there's uh, it's a college town, so mm -hmm. there would be a relatively diverse population because of the football program and other stuff, right? Yeah, Lincoln is actually pretty unique. Um, it's one of the, I mean, in our region in the Midwest, it's one of the hot spots for refugees. Oh really? Um, yeah, it's it's. I'm pretty sure it's. It doesn't get cold. What's that? It doesn't get cold there. Like oh, it 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 gets cold. Um, and I think I think it the the winters get lamented by many people. But like last winter, we had less than four inches of snow, and this this year how we've cold, had hard. How cold did it get? Um, I mean, you're routinely below freezing, sometimes below zero. Uh, but Mo, Mo, you live in Maryland. Oh, we yeah, don't get one. We don't but get, you get, you get like cold that. and snow. So we not only do you live in Maryland, but a lot of Caribbeans will move to Canada. Because mm -hmm. it's easier to get naturalized in Canada than it is to get a naturalized in America. So but it's still cold. <laughs> Nebraska is notorious for the volatility, though. When it comes to weather, the 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 phrase around here, and I'm sure it's everywhere, but the phrase is, you know, if you don't like the weather, just wait five minutes, and you will have a day in December that's in the 60s and sunny, and within 12 hours, you could have the temperature drop 40 degrees. Um, you oh, could have a foot of snow in, in January, or February, and you could have a string of days where you don't go, uh, you know, above freezing, but you could also get some days where it's pretty mild like a couple years ago we had like 50 or 60 inches of snow so it, it really varies and it's warming up it's been really dry lately um and, and we think it's humid it's nothing like florida uh, but it, it it is a little bit of a damp it's a damp cold but i bet maryland with with the atlantic um the cold you feel is pretty wet and and i've heard people say like dc new york um the Northeast is is a blistering cold when it's cold. So it's cold, but it's it's uh, we truly have all four seasons. It's all over yeah. the map. Cold here is sixty degrees. Yeah, but yes, to answer your question, Lincoln Lincoln's the most uh, diverse place in Nebraska. Which, if you if you compare it to other places, um, you know it'll look more or less diverse. But um, that is one thing that uh, that I like about it, which I think on Twitter would surprise people. But I do. Yeah, that's that's where I was leading up to. <laughs> and you, your typical patient population, right? So the city as a whole is probably more diverse than people would think um, mm -hmm. or know. What is your pa patient population diversity wise? Like, are you still seeing primarily, you know, Americans? Are you getting um african-american blacks are you getting hispanics like what what is your 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 patient population like if i were to spitball um and part of this really depends on the part of town that you're in and we've got there's eight clinics there's going to be two more opening here in about two or three weeks so um if you're more in north lincoln you'll see that you know diversity really increased especially with the refugee population. And, and this is kind of like most cities. North Lincoln is um, going to have more of that population. It's also going to have some spots where you have you have some pockets of, of affluence, but a lot of the lower to middle socioeconomic class is going to be in, you know, central to North Lincoln. 
And then South Lincoln's uh, certainly more affluent. So you'll, you'll probably see most of it in the Northern clinics. I haven't worked those ones as much. Um, I would say I'm probably treating non-Hispanic whites. Oh, come here, kid. Can you say hi? Hi. Say hi. Hi. All right, you go, you go over here with Uncle Pat, okay? Um, three, three of them are with mom at a soccer practice. One's with, with my brother here. Um, you know, maybe I'll, I'll stop. That's the first cameo we've had. Yeah. So, so you, yeah. you get the honor. You get the yeah, honor I'm, of that. That's the first cameo we've had of somebody's child or, or dog or cat or anybody joining in. So a cat, uh, with, uh, yeah, I think we did have a cat. I think we did have a cat, but you're the first. So kudos you to go. your princess there. Yeah, thank you. That's my my baby girl. She's two and a half. Um, Love it. So I I'm I'm like that guy on the BBC that was doing like international news, and his <laughs> kids were like opening yeah. the door to his office, kind of like yours. And uh, his wife like chases them in. Uh, my brother, my brother, let me down. No, um, <laughs> I, I'd say it's mostly uh, not non Latino or non Hispanic white. Probably eighty percent, uh, maybe five five to ten percent Latino or Hispanic. Um, and then I would say uh, maybe the last like 5% or so would be African American or even like refugee population. Um, few, few people come to mind, but I mean, it's, it's pretty representative of like the demographics of the state as a whole. So, you know, I think the, the thing uh, with diversity where I'll, I'll take an issue with something is when you take something like class or socioeconomic status and you supplant it with race. Um, because I think a lot of stuff is correlated, but I think a lot of the determinants that we, we really come down to would be socioeconomic status or class. And um, I think for, uh, oh, where was I going with this originally? um it's, it's repre oh yes 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 so uh, it's representative like the demographics as a whole especially for where i treat um but the the thing where like i'll probably take issue with um pushing diversity and and outcomes and things of this nature i'm probably kind of segueing into maybe a topic we were going to touch on anyways is um dis disparities and things of that nature and so i think of my hometown and i'm like my hometown and my county was like 98% white and it was like maybe, maybe a percent um, Hispanic or Latino and like a percent black, or maybe there's even a fraction of a percent of native um, or, or indigenous uh, in my hometown. So a lot of the things that I saw, if you were privileged or affluent or successful, or you had hardship, uh, mostly everybody was white. And so I, I think those are some of the questions that I like to, uh, to ask. If it's not known by now, uh, I don't mind taking a contrarian position. I don't mind playing provocateur. Um, mainly, I want to bring awareness to, you know, maybe a different school of thought or opinion that uh, is definitely out there. You know, a lot of people might not believe this, but like Twitter is very, very different than the general population. Um, and so in, in the Twitter bubbles and echo chambers, uh, you know, those are the types of things that I'd, I'd like to talk about and why it might surprise someone like a guy like me actually enjoys diversity in my community or in my kid's school and things of that nature in my patient population. Um, some of my closest relationships with, were with people who, who are not white. Um, 
my Spanish is very, very uh, elementary and broken, but I can get by um, without my PTA, who's who is half and, and can speak it fluently. So yeah. um, th- those are, uh, I guess, if you want to segue into some of those things, we can we can chat about that. Uh, well, that's that's good to know, and I I do agree with you that I honestly do believe. If we just took race out of it and kept it at a socioeconomic levels, we'll have a lot more in common than mm. we do. But because of politics, I think that had a huge influence on making race the, the dominant issue. Um, for someone who treats in rural, suburban, and urban areas, there are a lot of similarities for people who are lower middle class, upper middle class, and if you're affluent. You have more in common, a black person and a white person in a lower socioeconomic group will have more in common than they would have with someone who is white, who's affluent, or black who's affluent. And we're sitting here speaking from a position of privilege, even though our um, childhood was not as privileged, but we work damn hard for where we are. Um, so we could understand the struggle. The issue is that I think a lot of people have is that to totally dismiss it and not say, oh, we need to discuss the systemic issues that plague the US um, or us even in the profession. Um, I think that's what a lot of people have issues with. And the reason why I'm not gonna be like, oh, Victor, we can't talk anything uh, socioeconomic with Victor because he doesn't understand. Is I I want to see how you reason stuff, and I'm getting to understand you a lot better now that you know you shared about your bringing and your uh, spiritual values. And as I said to you recently, you and I have more in common growing up Episcopalian and stuff like that too. So. It, it 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 doesn't matter. I mean, I grew up in the Caribbean. You grew up in Midwest Nebraska, cold as. <laughs> but we have we have more in common than we actually thought we did. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's that's probably the reason that the um, the soul. I won't say maybe the soul, but the the intensified focus on race recently has bothered me because um, I do think we have a lot more in common. All of us do really. And the minute we start talking about what divides us, um, you're on a path to division and tribalism. And if you already had some, some latent uh, racism, you're only going to stir that up and it's not going to help anything. And I, I think seeing seeing, uh, you know, especially cultural forces, politicians lean into it on both sides, regardless of race, it's, it's cheap. Um, and that, that type of stuff, I just really don't care for. I'll tell you in Nebraska, like most people that I know that aren't white are married to someone who's white. And the, the racial narratives I see coming, um, you know, from in the headlines and, and, and streamlined from our institutions don't really, um, they're not adopted in the households that have someone who's white that I, or that's not white that I know. 
and, and that's just my experience. I know that there's other places where, where there's a lot uh, more of a diverse, uh, you know, demography. And there probably are a lot more people of the same race that are married that aren't white. Um, but here, a lot of people say like, my husband's, my husband's white or like my husband's black. Like, I definitely don't feel this way. Um, and that's something I think if we could get past um, just seeing a skin color or a degree of melanin that you've got or the country that you moved from or that your family immigrated from, um, I think a lot of the divisions you see would would be improved. I think it's profitable and, and uh, you know, it's rewarding to, to bad actors to stoke those flames and divisions. And uh, it's, it's a lot like how I view the immigration issue. Like as long as that stays an issue, um, you have cheap labor that, that one side's after and constituency or a voting block that the other side's after. And it stays a problem that rallies their base. And then they can drive people to the polls based on that issue alone. It's really a balanced approach would work quite well and please most people and solve a lot of our ills, um, both like uh, domestically with, with uh, our workforce and, and for the people that are dying trying to come here. I don't fault a single person that's trying to come here to better their life. I'd probably do the same thing. Uh, but there's a lot of hardship um, and there's some bad actors that, that definitely take advantage, um, you know, more specifically like the drug trade um, that I, I think and I don't really see that issue getting solved because it's it's too beneficial to people that want to want to weaponize it, and that's how I feel about race. Yeah, I mean, there, there's no doubt that you know, in in obviously, I don't try not to get too too involved in, especially in the Twitter world, uh, in, in dealing with politics because I just feel like it's something that it's 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 a lose lose situation. I mean, usually most people that are engaging in any kind of political dialogue, you know, they have their thoughts, their beliefs, and that's not going to change. Um, and especially in, in Twitter, you know, where everybody, you know, has 140 characters, so you can't really explain yourself too, too well. And I always say Twitter's not real. Um, no, people, so people, it's a hellhole. Yeah, well, it's, it's sort of real because I met Alex on Twitter. And you no, know, no, well, that's the thing. Like you, you it, it, there's genuine people out there that are genuine in what they portray through their social media platforms, right? But there's a lot of people out there that like to conform to what the popular narrative may be to sort of fit in, um, and not necessarily really speak how they feel or you know what they believe. And again, that's what Mo and I have, you know, said about you that you are. Are not like that you're going to speak your mind and, and hold your beliefs and it doesn't necessarily have to conform um so you mentioned that less travel yeah true yeah, yeah it, it's, it's not it's um I, I always say it's a hellhole but gosh uh that's how i consume news because i can really filter you know voices that i've watched over the years and have come to trust and and the ones that i don't really trust i don't have to turn on like cable news or any of that. I can follow clinicians who have great insight. I can network with people. Um, I can talk to people and be on a podcast like I am now. So it's it's definitely not all bad. And it, it's real, but it's more of an and both situation. It's also um, a distortion of reality. If you think Twitter is, is representative of the population, I think it's something that like 22% of Americans are on Twitter. 
And 90% of tweets are by 10% of the users. So if you do the math, it's like 2% of people are, are doing 90% of the tweeting. Um, so you, you can, you could do a poll on Twitter and depending on your following or just on, on its user base at large, it's going to be very different from what the public thinks. And on top of that, I, I think it is, um, we'll find out here in a few weeks with, I think Elon Musk has a lawsuit coming up or um, a trial coming up with, with Twitter. And there's a whistleblower that talks about, um, Twitter misleading how many of their accounts were fake. So we'll find out how much of it really isn't real, you know, with, with bots and things like that nature. But um, yeah, it's not all bad. Not all bad. I wouldn't be where I am if I didn't have social media. <laughs> no, definitely. I mean, I, I think it, it plays a huge part and and when used appropriately and used genuinely, I think there's a, a huge amount of benefit to it. Um, mm -hmm. But again, some of the things that have kind of, you know, made you a uh, unofficial you know some may call you a troll or or a contrarian or or whatever the case may be you know we've had you know in the last couple of years obviously going through covid um you've been very vocal about you know from the very beginning at least from what i've you know been able to pick up through your tweets and stuff um you know about the the vaccines and the, the lockdowns and and the things of that nature right and and that's a, a very hot topic to this day. I mean, we still have, you know, information getting put out about the vaccines. And then, you know, the president got, you know, tested positive like two weeks in a row. I think we just found out that the first lady uh, also tested positive as well. And, and there's been a lot of dialogue. You know, we've had the news. Say it again. I really haven't been listening to the news then. Well, yeah, the, the, I get the news. Uh, like for me, Twitter is my news, right? Uh, like yeah. I, that is how I consume the news. I can't watch the news on TV. Uh, it's, oh, it's, it, it's 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 very disappointing and and sad to me um, because there's just so much bad, and they know that the bad sells, um, and and. I just can't live like that. Like, you know, I wake up and, and you know, every day that I'm blessed to, to open my eyes and, and breathe some air, I want to make the best out of it. And I don't necessarily want to be consumed with all the negative or the perceived negative that's out in the world. Right. So like I, I as as Victor said, like I filter my stuff. Um, obviously, I try to keep it balanced. You know, I like to hear other people's points. I, I want to to, to hear perspective, a different perspective. I may not necessarily agree with it, but I want to be open to it. And I feel that that way I have more control um, over stuff like that. And that's why like, I enjoy Victor on, on Twitter because twi he always brings a different perspective to it, right? So, you know, we'll have, you know, Todd, which is somebody that I know that Victor has gone back and forth with. Um, I, I'm going to use this. I'm going to use this opportunity to reach out to like the 10 or 15 people that have blocked me. Um, <laughs> Whoa. And, and Whoa. hopefully you could. Oh, I, everyone. Well, Jerry you didn't block like me. But, uh, with that, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've been, there's probably, I'd say about 10, 10 or 15 that I've gone back and forth with that. I, I don't see their tweets anymore. Um, I don't know. Use it as an invitation to get to know me or maybe reconsider. I, I think you'll find, if, if I'm arguing with you, that's way different than how I'd uh, sit down and talk with you. 
and I, my wife's told me this. I've talked to um, people in my neighborhood that we talk about all sorts of things. And I, I, I don't think they catch uh, sarcasm or, or me trying to be sardonic or Socratic as much as I, I think that it, it appears to be. Um, and so sometimes I think just the in-person interaction is way better. But, you know, I can argue with you and I think you're wrong and, and I'll, I'll tell you why and I'll, I'll offer my best argument as to why I think I'm right. I'm not right all the time, uh, mm. but it's, it's not personal. I actually like to just take an issue, stay on it. And uh, then, you know, after that issue is done being debated, I'm, I'm not going to not talk to you. I have lots of friends that actually I probably don't agree with. Like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Catholic dude with, with four kids um, that grew up in a small town. So a lot of people that I interact with, I know do not think the same way I do or share all the beliefs I do. And I get along with them just fine. There's, I don't mind talking the religion and politics. The motto for my grandparents was you don't talk that with people. Um, but I think if, if I see everyone kind of saying the same thing and I'm like, I don't really, I don't feel that way. I don't believe that. I don't mind speaking out about it. So one of the most recent things that came up on Twitter is I think you and back what is you have to also apologize for a tweet that I made that came across with the throwing um, my post a swine. So I, I didn't mean to call you a swine. You're not that. So I have to make no. a public apology for that. Um, oh, it's but okay. it was no. the stance that uh, as an APT professional body, we shouldn't be commenting on uh, those sort of issues. And um, mm. there was a lot about the semantics on what is, um, if abortion should be allowed or not allowed. I know the Catholic um, faith is strictly against um, abortion. Um, mm. I am I am for life. I, I do support. I do support um, kids being brought to this world, but I do have wiggle room for for choice people making their, their decisions because I am not living their life. I don't know their financial situation. I don't know what's going on in their home. And I'm off to believe that I shouldn't force my my beliefs on them. It could be the same for people because I'm gay. They would be like, "Oh, you shouldn't be gay." And I've I've heard I've heard that. So I I try as much as possible not to force my spiritual beliefs on on other people. But I will argue back and forth. But I am I'm pro life with with room for for pro choice. So. In, in the middle. Um, you know, I, you're in line with roughly two thirds of Americans. I mean, mm -hmm. two thirds of America, I, I, a majority of Americans, it's around two thirds. Okay. Um, I'm not going to try to nail down an exact number, but roughly two thirds of people in this country think abortion should be legal in some degree. But that same, uh, you know, rough uh, fraction of people, maybe not the same exact people, but Two thirds of Americans also believe like there should be some restrictions on abortion, and, and that's that's something that I think is worth acknowledging uh, when we talk about it. But I also think about you know I, I consider it a civil rights issue. I, I think in politics and in marriage, like compromise is essential. I do. I don't believe in compromising on civil rights, and so that's why I take uh, you know a position that 
is not going to be held by either of those two thirds groups that I mentioned. Um, it, it's going to be a smaller, uh, you know, group of people. Do I think that a majority of a democracy supporting something uh, means that it's just or 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 right or wrong? No, I think a lot of times in history, there's examples where where an injustice would have been supported by the majority of the constituency. And so I, I think, um, you know, I don't demonize you or look at you um, in, in a way where um, I wouldn't associate with you or anything like that. I, I would just be open to having a debate. I think uh, it's something that I view as a civil rights issue. And I'd, I'd actually, I don't love the term pro-life because I think it's indirect. I'd say I'm just anti-abortion. And I, I think it's because there's a second person involved in the pregnancy that really has no say or no voice. And um, if you didn't have medical waste bins, you could have mass graves. I think you'd have like 60 plus million um, just in the last 50 years. But um, that's a group of humanity that is underrepresented and defenseless in my view. And so that's, that's why I take more of a, a stern approach on that one. So do you think that the APT should have received a statement on that? I don't. Um, one, because I think the statement or the position they took is wrong and that it's unjust and that it violates the rights of, of an individual. I mean, if we can do intrauterine surgery to correct cardiac abnormalities or to resolve spina bifida or we use uh, diagnostic imaging, I mean, not even halfway through the pregnancy to, to reveal things about the second person that's involved. I think that person's uh, worthy of protection. And, and honestly, there's someone that's receiving health care. So for a, for a medic or like a health care um, association, a professional organization to take a position um, that totally ignores the second being and, and someone, if, if they're seen as wanted, or economic circumstances allow for them to, to not be as burdensome to their parents, they're seen as a patient. And that, that's where I think they, they've gone wrong. Even if I were to step back from my position and say, okay, let's not take a stance on it. I, why don't I think they should get involved? Because it's divisive. Um, and in my state, uh, the Republican Party is very much associated with the chiropractic organization who organizes very well locally. And uh, most of the people that are going to push the initiatives of physical therapy are going to come down on the Democratic side. We have a unicameral legislature. It's just one chamber. It's 40, uh, 47, 47 or 49 senators, but um, it's nonpartisan. Um, but what you'll find is, is like these are lobbies, and I don't want my profession to become more of a partisan lobby. And I think a lot of Twitter commentary it is pushing for them to be more partisan. And, and I see Twitter as an echo chamber that's really not representative of even the profession as a whole. And so that's why I take issue with it. I, I don't think we should delve into issues that don't directly impact physical therapy. Now, I will say this. If the APTA were to switch all the, the position on all these statements and go to the other side, I think me and everyone who agrees with me would probably flip their opinion and everyone else who says that the APTA should be outspoken would probably flip theirs as well. Um, and, and I think that's just human tendency and bias. But ultimately, I'd argue that it's not relevant to physical therapy and that it's going to further divide the profession and have people like me a lot less uh, likely to uh, pay dues and, and be a member. Are you currently a member? 
No, not currently. I've been one on and off. Um, my employer would pay for it, but uh, by the time um, I would have had a discount to go to CSM last year, um, it was kind of a wash. Um, so, no, not currently. And then you, you mentioned that, in your opinion, you know, specifically about the topic of abortion, that it's not pertinent to, to physical therapy, in, in your opinion. But mm -hmm. we have pelvic specialists, you know, women's health, men, obviously not men's health, but yeah, we mm -hmm. do have men's health, but not necessarily pertinent to pregnancy per se. But, you know, those that group um, of therapists uh, has been very vocal into how it does play a part, how we as physical therapists do play a part in in dealing with the patients uh, that are, you know, on the fence about having an abortion or need to have an abortion because of medical reasons, personal choice, whatever the case may be. So mm -hmm. how do you, what is your answer to them? You know, because these are, these are clinicians that are working with these individuals on a day-to-day -day basis um, saying, Hey, we do have a, a position here. This impacts the patients that I see uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. Whereas, you know, you are in, Nebraska working with primarily an orthopedic population, yeah, the chances of you actually dealing with somebody uh, that that has to deal with with these circumstances um, probably not as often, you know. So how do right. you, what is your response to that? Uh, my response would be is that I hear your point that this is a complicated issue. Um, initially, I would argue that there are other options, and I and I'm not I'm not an OB, okay. Um, but I think a lot of times abortion is as sold as like the only option with no alternatives to a woman or it's sold as something without adverse effects. And I think both of those premises are false. Um, on top of that, I would ask you, are we also consulting uh, the PTs who work in the NICU? I mean, we're, we're dealing with babies who are viable, who survive um, at a gestational age that in some states can be legally aborted. They're denied personhood. Um, so I would say, are we talking to the nurses in the NICU? Do do people who are anti-abortion have a voice without being shouted down? I have nothing to lose. I don't have a business. I don't sell anything online. So like, I have no problem sticking my neck out and asking questions like this. There are a lot of people, and, and maybe, you know, for every two people that criticize me, there's a person who will privately message me saying like, hey, like, thanks for saying that, or keep going, or like, just so you know, you're not the only one. Um, there are a lot of people that have uh, fear of retribution. And I think there are numerous examples in the last five years with social media that if you hold the wrong opinion, um, you'll get shouted down, you'll get discredited. You may even fear you'll lose your job or your opportunities at promotion. Um, so I would say, are we talking to nurses that are anti-abortion that work in the NICU? Because I could, I could justify it from that position. I'd talk about people who work in PEDS. You work with people with developmental delay, Down syndrome. Um, did you hear recently that I think it was uh, one of the Scandinavian countries, Iceland, they eliminated Down syndrome, meaning they aborted all the fetuses that were diagnosed with Down syndrome in utero. Um, so we look at abortion, when you look at the, the metrics, you look at where they strategically locate their clinics, uh, they target people who are typically lower socioeconomic status, who tend to be less white, uh, on average, and who uh, tend to be seen as a burden. And so here I see a pro you know, profession talking about um, 
you know, talking about able, able-bodied language and things like that and, and standing for people that have disabilities and patient first language. Don't, don't refer to them as a para or a quad uh, or wheelchair bound, like use patient first language. And here you are having no problem with someone being aborted solely because they have down syndrome uh, or because they're female or because they're seen as a financial burden. Um, and these are the same people that talk about disparities and, and disproportionate outcomes. And if you look at abortion, it's full of disproportionate outcomes for all of these groups that aren't white males that are able-bodied. So I see, I see a, um, a, an underlying hypocrisy there. And I think if anything can be taken away from this, I just don't like hypocrisy. I'm guilty of it myself. Um, so I would, I would talk about that. Babies in the NICU, people with Down syndrome, people use, you really say we need more resources and funding for them to get care in schools with, um, with their programs through therapy. Yet you have no problem being that the reason that that child's denied a chance at life because their parents get to dictate whether or not they're worthy of personhood. Or, uh, you know, have you seen a celebrity lose a baby in miscarriage? Do you ever, do you ever hear it called like a fetus or a clump of cells or things like that? Like, no, it's called a baby. I have yet to meet someone asked, uh, who's asked, you know, my wife or any other pregnant woman about her fetus and things of this nature. So, there's this this uh, there's this dichotomy or uh, cognitive dissonance really of it's a baby but it's not a baby when I don't need it to be a baby because it's inconvenient so I, I that's how I would counter it and you're staying true to yourself uh, which which again is is something that I can admire so I, I'm using that because. You stick, you stick to your guns, and which is good. It's it's better that you do, versus portraying something on social media and being something else in in real life. Hypocrisy. Oh, yeah. You don't like that as well, too. So. Yeah, there's plenty of examples of those, and those are people that I tend not to respect, even if they agree with me. And, and you're right. You know, you you will get those direct messages when you you go against the grain, and mm-hmm. what you because. Representation does matter. Um, it matters for Alex and I because we we have created a podcast where we try to talk about PT-related issues, social issues, courts, and feature like black and, black and brown therapists, but we want to be inclusive of everybody uh, because the profession is, is very diverse. Um, and having a Latino and a black person one coming from South America, one coming from the Caribbean. Doing this, it shows representation. So your voice for people who are afraid to speak their truth because of fear of being ostracized. And I know people say people, clients will find you on Twitter and it's not good for us as professionals to be arguing with one another on Twitter because it doesn't look good for the profession. But some things actually need to be discussed. And I appreciate you being a devil's advocate for certain issues. Um, it does make me think at times, okay, yeah, maybe Victor has a point. But sometimes it could be hard arguing with you, though. I, I, seriously. <laughs> no, it, it, I, I think that we're all better off when we're getting things out in the open and we're being honest. I mean... That, that's something where, like, my wife and I talk about this. Like, there's couples, you're like, man, they pretend like they don't fight. Maybe they don't fight 
but like in our mind we're like well if you're not like disagreeing with your spouse or or with someone that like one of your friends or or you know one of your coworkers, when you do disagree that's just going to fester and lead to other problems or maybe the relationship's not on the level where you you are covering some of the bases or you're not covering some of the bases that you ought to be uh covering so i i think if you truly appreciate diversity, you appreciate diversity of opinion. And I'm sorry, I just don't see it in, in, in most um, higher level institutions these days. And so that's why I have no problem um, asking some of these questions. I think it's, it, it's a sad state of affairs when you have people um, who have an opinion that's probably shared by, by a good chunk of the population or of the profession, or, or maybe even a majority sometimes, but they, they, you know, fear blowback because of, um, you know, they have a position of status and, and you can't afford the negative pub. So do you think that with the National Association becoming so quote unquote partisans, that oh, it's total. prevent people from becoming members or it's more like a financial thing for people that it's costly? I think it's both. I, that's another thing I'd love to talk about is um, cost of, of journal subscriptions, professional membership, uh, tuition, things of that nature. Uh, that's where a lot of people that operate in those industries, um, I would love uh, to nail them down on some of those some of those topics. We probably don't have time for that today, but I do think part of it is probably cost. I've heard that one a lot. Um, but a lot of employers will pay that nowadays. I, I do know some people personally that it's like, no, I've, they really do not represent uh, my opinion. And, and people that I think like other people know, it's not just some Joe Schmo, but there's also like students, first year students that I'll get messages from. And they're like, man, I can't say like, I just love that you say this because I can't, there's no way I could ever say that in class. And I think that's kind of a tragedy. And I, I really don't want to see the professional org go that way. But if you look at it, um, and I kind of see this in local politics too, for uh, like state Senate, it's a $12,000 per year salary and you have to give it like 60% of your working hours each year. A person like me with four kids can't do that job. Um, uh, you know, a lot of people, if they have a family or, or maybe just financially it's something that they can't swing or they don't have an interest in academia, getting your PhD or doing residency or um, trying to work as faculty whether it's adjunct or full-time, that is something that you're just not, um, you're probably going to have some barriers. And so I think a lot of the, uh, if you, if you broke it down by socioeconomic status and marriage status, and how many children these people have, I think you would find a group of people, not very diverse, um, in terms of the things that I mentioned in, uh, you know, leadership positions at, at, uh, schools and NAPTA. And so I think it is something that's becoming partisan and you see a lot of college educated whites moving uh, to the Democrat party. You see a lot of realignment and shifting going on. And I, I do think the APTA, if you looked at it now and some of the statements that it makes versus five years ago, or even like 10 years ago, I think it would be drastically different. And so I, I do think sadly it's becoming more partisan. And, and, and along those lines, you know, obviously right now, the, the big news topic is the, the president's uh, student loan forgiveness. Mm -hmm. um, what are your thoughts on 
how that relates to our profession and the return on investment. You know, we've had discussion, uh, Mo, myself, and, and some of our other guests, where you know the the return on investment isn't necessarily the greatest. We we mm-hmm. it's very pretty well documented the amount of money that PT students are having to spend um, for a doctorate degree to then come out and make, you know, 70, 75K, you know, depending, obviously that's dependent on location, setting, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But what is your, what is your, I guess, how do you feel about our profession in returns of the return on investment, the amount of debt taken on, um, how the, the, the president's proposal factors in or doesn't factor into that, uh, in your opinion? I don't know if it'll hold. It's an executive order. It's likely to be met in court. Um, we'll see if it goes through. I'd benefit from it. I have more loans than I do, uh, you know, loans for my mortgage. So, you know, I stand to benefit from something like this. I, I don't think it's a good idea. Um, the majority of student loan debts held by professionals that are upper middle class, um, people with a college degree, especially a graduate degree, tend to, and they have a lot more debt because they've gone to school longer, but they also have much better outcomes financially. It's not really canceled or forgiven. It's just paid by the taxpayer and two thirds of uh, taxpayers and Americans don't have a college degree. So I think you really see, um, you know, working people, middle class, upper middle class people and, and, and wealthy people that maybe didn't go to college, paying off the college uh, student loan debts of a lot of a lot of professionals with grad degrees. Um, so I think I think it's rewarding the base. He's thrown a little bit of red meat to the base. You know, I mentioned college educated whites kind of moving um, to the Democrat Party. So I think, you know, within three months of the midterms, timing is probably strategic. <laughs> I do think it's a problem. Like student loan debt is a problem. I can speak to it myself. What you've just seen is an attempt, if it were to go through, to let off the hook the people that contributed to the problem. You have predatory lending and guaranteed lending and institutions that hike tuition by like four or five percent every year. And like my my program, um, there are 60 people in my class. I think it's up to 80. They're, They're trying to get up to 90 now. And that is because pharmacy is not pulling their weight. And so the School of Pharmacy and Health Professions at Creighton basically had to make up ground and they went and added 20 to 30 slots to their PT class, which I think will have downstream effects of flooding the market uh, in the Omaha area. And, um, you know, I, I don't know if it was totally necessary. I think it was these institutions operate like corporations. And I think if people would look at that, and um, criticize them and, and, and really take a skeptical approach at, at ed, higher education the way they do with private corporations, I think we'd be much better off. I think they need more scrutiny um, because I, I think you look at uh, the cost of higher ed, the cost of child care, the cost of health, the cost of health care, and what has happened in the last like 20, 30 years. They are all exponentially shooting off the graph where like CPI and inflation are just a steady increase. And even things like like airline flights and and televisions are are plummeting relative to CPI. But higher education is something that has increased exponentially at the same time that the administrative um, uh, like the the percentage of the employees that are administrative 
because of regulations and things of that nature have also increased exponentially. You've probably seen the graph of, um, you know, the, the x-axis is, is, you know, time over the years and the y-axis is the number of employees and like nurses and doctors has been pretty steady. It increases slightly. And then there's like a mountain of administrative uh, positions that have increased. So you're paying salaries of people that are non-revenue generating. And I think that's contributing to this high cost in healthcare, this high cost in uh, higher education as well. And with guaranteed loans, there are people that would otherwise not get a loan or maybe say, no, I should probably do something else just financially. It'd be better for me. I could afford it. They're taking out tens, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in student loans. It's, it's a problem, but it's not just PT. Uh, I think we need to look at what we incentivize. And right now we're incentivizing people taking out loans that they think, oh, I'll just pay those later. It doesn't matter what the amount is. I just want to do this and I want to go to school. And I think if, if you just try to transfer that debt to the American taxpayer rather than crack down on the predatory lending or the tuition hikes of the universities, you've just re-incentivized the whole thing because you just bailed them out. So in short, that's kind of my take on the topic, even though I might get 10 grand forgiven off my loan. Um, am I going to take it? Yeah, I'm going to be t- paying taxes for decades. So in my mind, I'm kind of paying it off anyways, but I don't think it's a good idea. And now you've just probably contributed to the problem of inflation with all this discretionary income that would normally be thrown at loans. Now you have more money chasing the same amount of goods. So uh, I'm not thrilled, but I don't know if it's going to hold. So Victor, as we get, you know, close to, to wrapping up here, I mean, it, it's been a great conversation. I, I feel like we've gotten to, to know you a little bit better, um, way better than again, 140 characters allows for, um, you know, and earlier you made the comment, you know, if you could reach out to, to some of the, the, the individuals that have blocked you uh, on Twitter, um, just in general, like, what would you want people to, to know about you and who you are as a, a, a man, a, a husband, as a physical therapist that you probably can't get across the way that you would like on Twitter or any social media platform for that matter? Like what, what is the takeaway um, that, you know, people watching this and cause I know that we're going to have a lot of people watching this um, just based on, so. uh, on, on your, your, your history uh, in social, in Twitter. Uh, yeah. But what, what's the takeaway? I mean, because I'm going to tell you right now, like I've interacted with you on Twitter. I I've never, and, and, and like I said before, like to me, it's always been like a learning experience um, to just hear your side, hear how you process things and, and then look at the way that others are processing them. Right. So, for me, it's always been kind of, like I said, just a learning experience. I, I like to listen to people and, and just take what they say and, and kind of put it together and for me to digest it and, and come up with my own things. And there's been times where I'm like, you know what? I kind of feel like I'm falling in line with what, what Victor is saying, you know? And there's other times where I'm like, eh, I see a little bit of that, but I get that too. Um, but but yeah, like, what is it that that you want? Because I feel like you're a genuine guy. Like, I don't, I don't feel like there's any like this is a front. Like, this is like Victor just trying to be a contrarian for the sake of being a contrarian, right? Like, 
I feel like that's just who you are. How, you know, your experiences shape who you are, but maybe other people don't get to, to know that or see that. So what, what is it? Like, what is Victor? Who is Victor? And, and what is that? Like, you know, I don't even know if I'm making sense right now, but yeah, yes, no, I, I get, I get what you're saying. You know, I think I've, like I said, I've got like a few hundred followers. Like I don't have time to like build a presence on there. So I'm not trying to like uh, grow a presence to, to sell something or to do ads or anything like that. Uh, I simply see conversations not being had that I think need to be had. And typically you're not going to have time like this to talk about it. I think it's 280 characters now. It was 140. I think it's 280 now, Alex, but it's still not enough. Um, so, so if I see an issue like I, like I think is just really um, – really distorted in terms of the perception you know on twitter compared to real life like the, the the trans sports issue or the bathroom issue like to me i'm pretty sure most polling shows it's like a 70 to 30 issue and most people are like i think if it's like it should probably be based on sex females should probably have sex specific locker rooms bathrooms prisons sports to me i i think it's asinine that a lot of people feel like they can't say that and so that that's something where I'll I'll, I'll rib people about it. The, I think the reason Todd blocked me was because I had a, a pregnant man emoji from Apple and I had my brother cut Todd's face and put it on it. And so I would just throw it at him once in a while. But I'm like, if you truly believe that, then then that shouldn't really be an issue. Am I, am I trolling? Am I, am I being a provocateur to some degree? Yeah, you could call it that. But like, if you look at the issue and, and I'd probably like to use this opportunity to ask the the APPA sports sig okay i think it's eric myra he formed a dei committee and he was proud of that and here's my question to you there is a female athlete sig as well okay and then there's a dei committee for the sports sig you have a competing rights issue going on here and so you you want to promote people that say they identify as trans and their ability to um, live out their life the way they see fit so that you know if you're a trans woman who's like biologically you're male, but you identify as a woman, you think you should be able to go into female specific spaces. I'm going to ask him, Hey, what would you do about that? Because you also have a female athlete sig. Like people ask me, do you have trans patients? I've had a couple, I think like three now. I just, I don't use pronouns. I call them by their preferred name. Just like I'd call a William who says his name is Bill or a Robert who says his name is Bob. I, I go by your name that you tell me. Um, but to force everyone else to go along with your preferences to some degree, I like to draw the line on that issue. So I think on that one, I will take a harsh stance. Um, and then that will usually devolve into me being called racist and things of that nature. I'm, I don't think that's who I am. I just think on this issue, we ought to talk about it. And there's really not a, a discussion being had because you're trying to placate and appease people um, that I, I, too many groups of people or people that will never be, um, you'll never be able to please them or placate them. And so those are the types of things where I'm like, well, I'm going to lean into that because I know there's people that agree with me. And I know the, the population at large um, is very split on this issue or perhaps, um, you know, in opposition to what this person may be promoting or what our institution may be promoting. I'm going to try to rile something up so people talk about it. I want to raise awareness about it. So do I take some methods that are more shock and awe and things of that nature? Yeah. 
but it's because I think a discussion that should be had is not being had. And, and if you claim that you support women on all these other issues, and you get upset that like at the, the women's uh, March Madness tournament, the girls had 25 pound dumbbells and less to work out with. And then the men had like, you know, the amazing weight room if you felt that way, but then in the, in the same breath, you, you try to tell me that males should be able to compete in female sports. Like, well, no, 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 no. We, we should sit down and talk about that. You have competing rights going on here and you're going to have to decide ultimately, like what is your position if you're going to start taking positions on things, especially on tough issues. So it, you know, I don't think, uh, maybe I'm as, as bad of a guy as I'm built up to be on, on social media, but at the end of the day, um, you know, I can lay my head on the pillow at night. It's okay. I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm a Texas fan in Nebraska, so I don't have a, a huge problem with people not loving uh, what I might say. <laughs> a fitting ending, I think. A fitting ending for sure. Um, Victor, man, I, I really appreciate it. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. uh, it, it was definitely a pleasure and, and a good time to, to sit and chat with you and, and just, just get to know you, kind of get your perspective uh, on things and, and just try to better understand, you know, where it is that that you how you get to 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 your end points on, on these topics and, and all the other stuff. Um, again, it was a pleasure having you, man. Um, hopefully we can continue the, the conversations on, on Twitter, um, because I agree that there's certain points that, that need to be said. And, and, you know, we need to just be able to hear everything. We're not always going to agree with it. Um, but we got to be able to at least listen to it, absorb it, and, and then be able to, you know, to make individual decisions and, and then respect those decisions. Because at the end of the day, um, I, I think that's what we deserve um, as human beings. I think we just, you know, need to be respectful. The, the, the idea that we're going to always get along and always going to see eye to eye, that that's just not going to happen. But we, we just need to do better uh, to be respectful of, of everybody's opinions, right, wrong, or indifferent. And I think if we're able to do that, then, then we can have these conversations and they can be very meaningful conversations. Yeah, the feeling the feelings are mutual. I really appreciate you guys reaching out. Thanks for having me on, uh, giving me a platform to talk. And I, I, I agree. I think, um, you know, when we're really open-minded and, and we have the opportunity for people to talk and it's, it just feels more transparent, I think, we'll be better off, even if people aren't going to get their way on certain things. As long as we have a more transparent and open process, I think it's better off. There's a lot of mistrust when we don't have that. Very true, very true. So thank you again, Victor, and all the best, and uh, congratulations. Yeah, congratulations thank on you. the upcoming. Um, so I'm sure that'll, that'll keep you busy and away from Twitter for a while. Oh. Well, unless I'm holding the baby late at night and I got nothing else to do. Uh, yeah, you can tell, like on my days off or weekends. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I won't share it on like on uh, Twitter, but I'll I'll send you guys a picture and, and keep you posted. Awesome. I really appreciate that. No problem. Um, yeah. Again, to to all of our followers, thank you very much, guys. We really appreciate your support. Um, continue to subscribe, comment, like, share with your family and friends. Uh, we really appreciate it, and and we're here to to keep putting out, you know, good content, good interviews, good information out there for everybody. So everybody, have a good evening. Take care. Peace. Peace.